welcome to another episode of Only the Brave Have Fun. This is your host, Jazz Bear. And this week's guest is Richard Woods. Now, you know me, Richard, from uh, BBC Apprentice. Uh, he was the finalist in Series 11, 2015. Uh, he's also a professional speaker, radio presenter, award-winning entrepreneur, and a best-selling author. In this episode, he's going to talk to us about lead generation, his journey, The Apprentice, and a lot more. So let's welcome Richard. Richard, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. For the people that don't know you, I don't know where they've been, but uh, yeah, how would you introduce yourself? So essentially, I'd say, um, in essence, I'm an entrepreneur. But my thing is all about lead generation. I love the thing that creates inquiries. I love, I would say that I, I love the thing that gets the uh, phone ringing and the inbox pinging. Um, that's my thing. I like, uh, I like to be able to generate that inquiry, that kind of lifeblood of any business. So that's what I'm all about. Practical, not fluffy marketing, real lead generating marketing. Wow, awesome. Obviously, you're, uh, most people would know you from BBC Apprentice. Before that, what was Richard doing? Oh, look, so, so, so my kind of story goes back that um, I was always uh, entrepreneurial, um, set up a number of little small businesses when I was at school, went and did business with entrepreneurship degree straight off the bat. I got graduate loans, went over to India and China, started designing products, importing them to the UK, up and down the high street. Um, my wife used to call me Del Boy Trotter because I used to go and sell all this stuff to everybody. Um, really cut my teeth on sort of door knocking and just through complete blind um, ambitious ambition and not really knowing what else to do, forcing my products into the world um, and did well off the back of that. 2007, hit and that hit the gift market in the UK quite badly. All these little small, sort of small shop owners, which were my clients, um, started going out of business. So I then started trying to help them and I was doing that all pro, through pro bono stuff. My kind of moment, my aha moment was when we did a, a promotion that gave someone a free website if they brought a thousand pounds worth of uh, gifts from us, like photo frames or um, we were doing funky colored rubber ducks and stuff. Um, and, um, and people would say, well, we, we don't want your frames, but um, can we have a few more pages on the website or could you help us out with this website stuff? And uh, you kind of start to realize that you thought that you're a product designer, but actually really you're a marketeer. And that was a big aha moment for us and uh, um, shifted into uh, marketing. But in, in, in true sort of entrepreneurial spirit, if anybody asked for some marketing, I'd say yes. Um, so we did everything from graphic design to email marketing to pay-per-click to we, we, we even ran a St. George's Day um, event on the high street to try and get more people to the high street. So it was, uh, um, it was pretty mental. So, so my kind of um, second aha moment in the journey was the, the refinement down into a core process and core structure, which... Um, which really happened during my time when I was sort of starting to get on top of the, um, the Daniel Priestley material, the, the, the key person influence uh, course that I went on and, and that type of community, which I'd recommend. Um, it's how we met. So I'd recommend anybody to check that out. Um, and that refinement down of trying to be everything to everyone instead of now just being 
a really good thing to a very few amount of people um, allowed me to then create a business plan that I was ex extremely happy with and uh, so happy with that when um, a distant murmur of the was on the TV and I go, God, those arrogant whatchamacallits, I could do better than them. And of course it was the, it was the apprentice. And uh, uh, my wife said, well, if you think you're so great, go on then, why don't you go and apply for it? And of course, because I am a bit of an arrogant whatchamacallit, I said, well, fine then, I will do. And, uh, <laughs> and a few weeks later, I get the application um, accepted for an interview, which then went for another interview and then three or four different auditions. And before I know it, I'm in a boardroom with Lord Sugar, Karen Brady and Claude Littner staring down at me and thinking, what on earth have I let myself in for? So yeah, so that, took, that takes you up to The Apprentice time. There's a couple of things on The Apprentice that I was, I was particularly proud of. One, obviously I came third, so uh, I was happy with that. But two, I've, well, I've got the series um, record for the most amount of sales in one day. We did- 4.8 million, wasn't it? 4.8, good, good work. Good work. That's uh, <laughs> I, I was I was all, I was trying to remember what that was then. And then perfect. And um, and we also um, well, I say I also got um, I only lost one task in the whole series, um, which was a record. And uh, and you know and 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 Lord Sugar said that my marketing task, which I was the the leader, the group leader of, was the best he'd ever seen. So you can feel me holding on to these little <laughs> anecdotes, like as if they're like the last of my <laughs> things that associate me with that show. But, um, but yeah, I, I, look, there's a lot of people that come off that show really angry and bitter and um, say that Lord Street is a terrible person. I don't know. He's a great guy. It's a great show. It's fantastic. I just, I'm a positive person in every single way. And the only time I've ever, no, it's the second time I've ever been fired. I got glandular fever twice in one week when I was, uh, um, when I was doing a part-time job, which apparently you can't get. So uh, obviously they, I got people <laughs> for being for skiving in one of my very few jobs I've ever had. So he was the second person to ever fire me and uh, it, was, it, it hurt for a little while, but I'm all good now. <laughs> How was it? You know, I, I normally ask this question, you know, that what, who is it? Which entrepreneur is it in your view that, that you look up to and you think are doing amazing things in this world? Now, with you, I'll ask a flip question before I before we go on to that. And you, I know you get this asked a lot. How was Lord Sugar? <laughs> <laughs> well, the answer to those two are going to be very different. Um, so, so how was Lord Sugar? Look, he's very much like he is on TV. He's witty. He's quick. He loves a cheesy line or two. He's constantly banging on about some football club in North London, um, and he um, he just loves it. He he, lo he loves the show. He, he's a family man. He brings his grandkids on set and they watch a lot of the stuff that we do. So that's really nice to see. But he's a remarkable person. You, the boardroom itself is, is a whole day. So there's, I was in every one, so it's 12 boardrooms, um, plus the setting of the thing at the start of 13. Then, um, then when he sets the tasks each time, it's about half a day. So you, you, know, you, you spend a good old you know, three weeks um, solid time with him. And he's he'll give you the odd tip here and there. He'll give you a bit of a bird of advice. He'll, he'll show a bit of human to him um, when you are, you know, especially if the girls are getting upset about stuff, he, he's quite good. It's kind of like, right, stop cameras now. Let's try and, you know, look after these people. So he, he has a heart, although none of that gets to the final cut. Um, <laughs> but, Claude is the one that looks a bit scary, to be honest. 
Yeah, he, yo, trust me, when you walk in there, like, you can barely get your words out because you're so intimidated. It's like walking into Madame Tussauds. You've just got this person you're so familiar that you're kind of so close to, like, between me and this kind of microphone away, you know, across, a, across the table. And, um, and because it, it is quite close, actually, because of the way that they've got to film it and the rest of it. And there's also this, um, there's eight cameras behind him. There's three cameras behind you. There's secret walls and stuff where they're filming stuff. So you're just very aware of all the camera production. And of course, it's like Madden Two Swords, but then he moves and actually starts talking to you and you're, the colour goes out your face. You're like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, it's, it's a lovely thing. And like, even like Karen Brady, she's a formidable, formidable and very successful woman. And she, she was a wonderful person to talk to. And uh, um, I remember having a long old conversation about um, the, the election. It was 2015 I was in and the election general election where Labour completely uh, capitulated in, in Scotland um, to the SNP had happened. And a long old chat with Karen Brady about that and the ins and outs of it. And it's just like, oh my God, I feel human, like having a conversation with you. And she, it was, it was just nice, you know? So uh, yeah, it's, I, 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 I very fondly look back at those days now. And uh, it's now reminisce. It used to be like really current. Now it's more like just me reminiscing. On lovely shows like this. <laughs> well, one thing I observed on that show was that a lot of it is based on sales. I mean, that's what it really focuses on. Two things, really. One's the team lead role, and it's a leadership, and the other one's sales. And, and obviously, you thrived in both, really, especially on the sales one. In your point of view, an entrepreneur, what's the first thing? I probably know the answer to this. But for people that don't know and, and probably shy away from it, what's the one skill that, in your view, they need to learn or master that skill? Well, I, I would probably say that it's actually sales is what Sugar really likes to see because he knows that that's the lifeblood of everything. Now, I don't think Sugar's actually looking for an entrepreneur. In fact, I know he's not looking for an entrepreneur because he would have made far better, or no, sorry, not better, but he would have made far different conversations and and, um, and selections on who he actually um, partnered with if he was looking for an entrepreneur. Sugar's looking for what I would call a rainmaker. And so a rainmaker in a company is someone that probably should have been an entrepreneur, but at some point was a bit too late for them, or they didn't quite have a family situation to go out and do it, or they got a really cushy job too quickly um, and didn't want to go back. And a rainmaker is someone that kind of isn't limited by their earning potential because they are ridiculously good at being able to sell and close and they back themselves they don't mind saying look you know um, i don't even need a big contract i'll just i'll just you know I'll, I'll i'll feed on what i kill sort of thing so someone that can make stuff happen some people that can and that tends to be through lots of sales now you then have technicians who do the thing and you have those in your business, and it's important, whatever business it is, to have really good people to do the stuff. Um, but then the, rem mate, the rainmakers are really kind of the guys that can sell like hot potatoes. There was a, there was a wonderful girl called Charlene in our year, and uh, she just sold, shamelessly sold, uh, over and over again, um, but didn't have the rest of the skills to go with it. And then the entrepreneur for me is, is kind of the person that can harness the vision and to get everybody along that vision and take them with them. Now, um, 
sugar's kind of not looking for that because when you get the investment, you've got a little business plan, he then parachutes his advisors, his financial people in, his, they completely rip your business plan apart and just go, right, here's the cookie cutter type way of doing it. And he's the person that kind of guides that, excuse me, and then he just needs a rainmaker to come in and just within the parameters that he sets for you, once he makes his investment, you make it rain and you make it rain hard. And the people that have done incredibly well, you think about Mark Wright, um, who's in, uh, who, who won the year before I went on, on Climb Online. He's a phenomenal guy. I've, I've known him and had several lunches with him. He's a really good rainmaker. But he went from a full-time job at a company called Reach Local into The Apprentice, came out of The Apprentice, still in that full-time job, got the offer uh, when it went live on TV and jumped straight into it. And he was perfect because he was top salesman there. And he just went and went, boom, into something that was very familiar, made it rain, and that's what he's doing. It's not necessarily that, as soon as they're too entrepreneurial, then it's a problem. Joseph, in my year, who's the uh, plumber, he's incredibly entrepreneurial, and he had a million things going on, but he was quite clever that he just said, look, I'm just a plumber on The Apprentice. Sugar thought he had a rainmaker, um, but he actually then, as soon as he got the investment, started wanting to go do a bit of property, doing a bit of public speaking, do a bit of uh, PR stuff, and typical entrepreneur, shiny thing, shiny thing, shiny thing. Sugar got really annoyed with it. They had a massive bust up, and he's the only person that's got an investment from Sugar that currently has actually split up with Sugar and isn't actually working with him. Um, so that's since they switched the format to investment as opposed to actually a job. Um, Joseph was the only one that's still not working with him. So um, he, he, he was kind of a, uh, he's an entrepreneur that was dressed as a rainmaker and uh, should have got that investment wrong. And, and, and to this day, he just does not want an entrepreneur. They are too, they're too entrepreneurial. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of people say that, you know, when these people seem like a lot more salespeople than they do as entrepreneurs. Exactly. Um, it, it kind of ties in with your point, because the point you were making is that actually... He's looking, you know, so you've got to be really good at sales, et cetera. To win The Apprentice versus to be a successful entrepreneur, they are very different. And to win The Apprentice, uh, you've got to be able to be a top salesperson. You've got to be able to um, be able to work within the parameters of the guidelines. You've got to do as you're told. You've got to not argue with sugar, um, act, you know, along the, you get given a dossier at the end, at the beginning of each um, task with rules and the rest of it. So you've got to work within the rules and you've got to sell some stuff and you've got to excel and then you've got to push people under the bus. That's not entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is you write your own dossier and then you've got to bring everybody on board with you and you've got to leave from the front and put yourself at risk every single hour of every single day. And even if someone else messes up, you take that as your you saying, don't worry, you messed up, that's my fault, I'm sorry, we'll do it better next time. You are the reason why everything goes wrong in your business and you are the reason why everything goes right in your business. And the reason why I won so many tasks is that I took that mentality, which meant that my team knew that I would take the stick if we lost. And so therefore, when I was running those tasks, we won them because I just wouldn't allow us to lose because I knew that I was going to go out regardless of my performance, I was going to take the blame for it. So I won all those tasks because I had an entrepreneur mindset. But when it came to the crutch of it, Sugar knew that I was too risky because, you know, the, you know, even came up in the boardroom. I had too many businesses going on. I had business relationships with my brother and businesses. I mean, I, I went into the, the Apprentice with five businesses on the go. 
and that situation still hasn't got much much simpler either. So, um, hence why I was kind of almost uninvestable from that point, which is a shame. Wow. Here's here's a, uh, this is the last bit. We'll, we'll talk about apprentice and we'll move on. Um, about time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get this one out. When I first met you, I was like, I can't decide whether I like Richard or I don't. And, and here's why, right? I thought all of these, you know, when you do your um, um, introductions on the, on the Apprentice, <laughs> all of you, all the candidates from all the years come across as cocky, arrogant, extrovert, too cheesy, you name it, just keep going on and on. And you're like, I don't know if I meet him in real life, I'd like him or I won't like him. And is he trying to sell something? Is he not? Does he even care? <laughs> I'm you know, always trying to sell something. So was it was it an act or was it really the true personality of those people? Well, I mean, you know me now. We spent we spent a few days together. So um, I, I guess I guess if I was to replay what I see in it, it's an enheightened version of my personality that I've had to that I did because I wanted to get to a certain place and that was to get to to into the apprentice so so when they asked you what's significant um in the interview stages and on those videos that you see that, that are now public on the BBC website you know what what historical character do you want to be um if I'd gone off and said that you know I wanted to be mother Teresa um I don't think I would have got onto the apprentice whereas I, I said that I wanted to be Churchill and you know all yeah. fight them on the beaches and all that sort of stuff and, and that stuff gets in and then they say what animal do you want to be and if I'd gone and said I was a meerkat I don't think that that kind of would have worked so well whereas I want to be a lion or a tiger and you know rip my competition in heart and it just it's playing the game to get what you want um on that side but I did it with the humor that you probably recognize me with and the, almost the tongue-in-cheek taking the mick out of myself which is exactly what I'm all about I'm not about taking myself seriously. I am completely okay with being over exuberant and um, energetic and um, kind of say stuff that I know that I'll probably regret later, but hey, who cares? Um, and, and that's fine, you know, and, and that's probably, so it probably is a bit of a reflection of me, just an heightened, slightly tailored towards an end goal reflection of me, if that even makes sense. Wow, okay. Now, now your company, uh, Yomp, does lead generation. So is that the business idea that you took to Apprentice and now is that, is that what's going on? So, so, um, so, so really, um, Yomp is kind of, um, it's, it's morphed. So you, you, they, this, is, this is kind of goes into a nice little bit of a practical bit of advice. I'm, I'm a big believer, and this is through working with lots of clients and seeing lots of successful campaigns, of actually saying exactly what you do on the tin. And YOMP is an old military term that means to march whilst fully equipped over challenging terrain. It was a Marines term from the Falklands War. And we quite liked it because it sort of said it was on a mission or the rest of it. And we, you know, we'd kind of be cool agency people. But it just doesn't, it doesn't mean, does it, it doesn't, it doesn't, mm. lead generation is what I'm all about. Lead gen is the action that we do. It's the kind of the pain that we solve. And it is exactly what we do on our tin, lead generation, lead gen. So um, we've, we've completely morphed everything that we've done. We have the Lead Gen Academy, the Lead Gen Summit, the Lead Gen Agency. Um, we've got the 30 Leads in 30 Days Challenge. We have the 99 Ways to Get More Leads ebook. It's 
that, you know, and that is where we are. So the best thing to think about us is with the, we, the business that I own is the lead gen group. Um, and uh, that's then a holding company for a number of those brands that I just discussed. Right, awesome. And then what's, uh, what's next for Richard now, now that you've conquered uh, TV? <laughs> And, and <laughs> if only, yeah, the dizzy heights of third on a 2015 TV program. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know actually. I think, um, well, I, I, one thing I really wanted to do was um, radio, we really enjoyed radio, so did that for a few years after The Apprentice. So, the BBC Radio, um, so did BBC Surrey, BBC Sussex. Eagle Radio, which is part of the, um, and the I think it's the Capital Radio Group. And, um, and then Brooklyn's Radio, et cetera. So really enjoyed doing that. I've actually had to um, turn all that off because it, when you're doing a show that is very much about, you know, which contestant went out of Big Brother or, you know, there's, a, there's been an accident on the M25, so avoid Junction 4, like, <laughs> you know? And you kind of sit and they're going, and then here's another track from, you know, X, Y, Z. You're just thinking... Is how is this moving my needle in the direction of you know my bigger goals in life? And it was an indulgent kind of almost hobby that I was you know I was get, getting paid nicely for it, but it's fine. So so I kind of ticked that box. But everything I'm doing now is to be able to generate um, two businesses. So I've got two businesses that we'll be doing. So one's an investment business, and the the reason why that investment business is isn't to grow grow the value of the investment it's a cash flow business and that cash flow business is to generate and spit out enough cash to be able to then take that and use that to spike the investment in my software business and the software business is the big exit business um, it's the business that i'm going to sell for 246 million pounds and then I'm going to be able to put five million pounds into the kitty to be able to work with, and then 241 million into a compounding interest account at 10% per annum, um, which means after 15 years, I'll be a billionaire. And then you can buy the Dickies Island, huh? <laughs> yes, Dickies World. Dickies World on Dickies Island, yeah, which uh, is another thing that came up in that apprentice interview uh, video, yeah, which uh, I'd love to have a Dickies World. As you know, I talk, I talk about this quite a lot. Why do I want an island in the Caribbean and call it Dickie's World? It's, it's, it's because Richard Branson has one. And actually, I've started to realise that I don't really want something that someone else wants because that's what they want. And I think that that makes me look successful. In fact, it's actually a complete red herring. And if people are starting to go, oh, I want to have a car like XYZ person or an island like ABC person, or I'd like to have this then actually they haven't really thought about what their goals are. For me, the reason why I want to be a billionaire is because that's what I see as being the scorecard of hyper success as an entrepreneur and to go from absolute zero, started the business with no pounds, all the way through to being a billionaire and knowing that I've got to have a cash flow business that's spitting out probably 100 grand a month to be able to then payroll um, a set of developers and marketeers to be able to create that and then be able to sell it and then have a compounding investment to be able to become a billionaire. That's just because I know how I'm going to get there. And that's the score. And the more I talk about it, think about it, go for it, means that I hit that target. And that target isn't things. 
it's a, an achievement through the only measurement that really entrepreneurs understand, and that's what's what that valuation, what that what that money is, mm. um, and that's that's why I don't need an island. I'll probably I, I, look. Let's face it. When I'm allowed, to, when I allow myself to spend the money because I've hit that amount, and then I can start spending it, then all right, I'll probably get an island. <laughs> why not, man? Potato, potato. I'd prefer like an amazing um, like chalet in the Alps so I can go skiing and all that sort of stuff like a huge like a blooming I prefer just to buy a mountain as opposed to an island my mountain it's my mountain I'm going to ski on it whenever I want how do you um, you see you seem very full of energy all the time um, I hope the caffeine does run out eventually <laughs> and it's natural okay <laughs> <laughs> how do you keep yourself motivated I, I find myself to you know if I have this hard target of mine and I achieve that um, or I you know no matter how long it takes once you achieve that you kind of become relaxed you're like it was that it that's it you know then you have to find something even bigger and then even bigger mm. eventually you will be old enough and you will run out of time and sometimes you're like you know what that's it you know I don't want to be I'm sure that the, the next goal is not going to be as interesting as I thought this one will be do you know what I mean how do you keep going, keep yourself motivated? It's, the, the, the goal's big enough. The goal's big enough to, to be really stretching for it. And, and I've got, that's a 20-year plan. And, um, and 15 years of that plan is really just money sitting in a bank account, gaining, gaining it won't be a bank account, it'll be high interest, gaining uh, um, size. So it's not, um, it's not dramatic um, in terms of that. The, that means that therefore it's a five-year plan. It's a short sprint um, to a big exit in a software business. And that's just huge amounts of time, effort and energy to be able to do. And that keeps me well motivated. And, um, and the big thing is to, like I get up at five, I do, um, I'm in the office working for um, six um, and I sprint all the way through till 6.30. So then kids in bed and bath and, and spend some family time. And so, so as long as I can try and optimize that time when I'm up and in, and um, I've been playing about with some intermittent fasting and stuff, like not trying to eat during the day because that takes a lot of your uh, processing time out. And the, the biggest thing that you can do to drain your energy is actually to be digesting food. The best thing to be doing is, uh, this has just got lemon and ginger that I cut in at the beginning of each day and then fill up with hot water. Um, and water and coffee, caffeine, lots of caffeine, um, and just just do that because because that then keeps because it's all about optimizing here to stay hundred percent focused. And if you can be hundred percent focused, then you can get a hell of a lot done in a short space of time. And I have a very tight, um, geographically diverse team, and the it's an always on business. You know, I've got. Developers at the moment working for me full time in the Philippines. Um, my head of digital's in a completely different building, you know, an hour away from here, and he works a similar way. And we we just we don't require um, us to be sitting around having long meetings and, and wasting each other's time. We just get a lot of stuff done in a very short time, and that multiplier effect creates an amazing snowball of uh, momentum. And momentum's the key word if you're an entrepreneur. If you're in a state of momentum, 
then you'll know you're doing well. That's why holidays are crap. Going on holiday and recharging the batteries. Um, <laughs> basically, going on holiday and losing all your momentum, so you've got to pick up your momentum. is like a complete two weeks waste of time for uh, an entrepreneur. Um, but we understand it has to be done um, for our family. Uh, <laughs> and so I try and have a couple of sneaky... Uh, sessions whilst I'm away to uh, keep myself going but yeah interesting what's been your uh, what's been a moment where you were really low and you know you had to really pick yourself up you know the time comes there is there comes a time where you know people are against you things are against you you're not sure there's uncertainty lack of clarity you name it you're like you know what I just want to give up and just go somewhere in a remote island <laughs> just live there one of those moments Oh, which, which one was that for you? <clears throat> I remember um, this couple of times, but on The Apprentice, when I knew that I was going to get fired, um, it was a Sunday in one of the big um, skyscrapers in London, and um, I just had the interview stages, and uh, I just thought, I've just messed that up. Um, and I was lying on one of these lovely leather sofa things that they got in the reception there, and the sun was beating down, and I was just like, you know, it's done, it's over, forget about it, I'm going to sell everything, and you know, go be a digital nomad and work off my laptop in Thailand and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, you just kind of thought, well, so young, you know, like so much. I was only 30 when I was in there. I'm only 36 now. And uh, there's so much to do. And, you know, there's years and years. I mean, people are still working at 60, 65 these days. And so my father-in-law is still working at 70. Um, amazing entrepreneur. I mean, you know, it's 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 decent, proper working. It's not tart. It's not on the tools type stuff, but it's amazing, really. And so, there's so much you can achieve. And so that kind of picks you back up. One big thing that happened to me was um, splitting up the business with my brother, which we kind of had a falling out that was kind of been on the cards for a long time, got to be on repair. Um, and I never thought about giving up then, but I just. It just reframed a lot of things because so I always thought that we were going to do it all both together and the rest of it, and we didn't. We split split all our property. You know, we had a lot of property together, so split a lot of that up and kind of had a clean split. And it's been brilliant relationship-wise now, but um, means that you know I'm I'm captaining the ship alone, um, which I guess um, I probably always wanted really. So interesting. You do a lot of great stuff with, with lead gen. You know, that's like you said, that's the lifeblood of any business, right? So what should one worry about more? Is it more lead generation or is it more trying to get your sales uh, process right? You just got to worry about having a bloody good thing. You know, like if, you, if your thing's not good, then people can buy your stuff, but then they'll fall off the back of it. You know, so you've got to really over deliver. And, and <clears throat> so when, when I put together the 30 Leads and 30 Days Challenge the first time, in 2017 when I launched it, that it was a one email a day for 30 days giving people advice on how to do marketing. And I smashed it out. It was a fantastic campaign. We got thousands of leads from it. Um, they got a load of emails and nobody really did anything in the community and, and, and shared successes, etc. And we started to look at it and thinking, well, actually, yeah, they're getting the stuff. And yes, we're getting loads of leads. And yes, I'm converting a lot of these people into... Um, customers so the kind of the marketing is working but is, is the thing that they're downloading working for them so um, 
when we went back in and approached this um, this year, we thought, right, we're going to change the way we think about it. We're actually going to sell this as a very small, low-value product, 47 quid, basically. And we're going to make it so good that it's almost like a course that you would sign up to for 1,997 quid through one of these you know, people that are selling courses. And the quality of it and the support and the community and the amount of interactions and um, time that we spend for each person is just so over-egged and so much additional value that it's just nuts that we would even be able to turn a profit on this. And the whole point is that you don't because you want to give people such a good A plus experience that it just makes sense that they go on to your next thing and your next thing and your next thing. And for us, that might be a done for you program or majority of people come on and join the Legion Academy because they love the training and want to do more. Um, or we're going to be launching a, uh, a 90 leads in 90 days accelerator um, in London in, at the end of this year. And uh, that's so people can go, right, well, I like the 30 to 30 days, but I want to spend a bit more actual physical time in a workshop and uh, and then actually pay for a, an enlightened version of it over a number of months. So that, that all comes from knowing that nobody's going to go buy one of my, you know, big products straight off the bat. Very few people ever do. They want to come in and buy something small to start with or experience you in some way quite easily to start off with. And if you are not hyper over delivering at that stage, because you're thinking more about big core products, et cetera, then you are losing that effect to wow people and excite people about the next step. And everybody kind of skips over this kind of taste of product or using a dent term product for prospects. Um, and even the free things, the content that they're viewing for you is free. If, if you're skipping over the quality of these things because you're just trying to force people in to sell them your core thing, then you're actually skipping over the wow moments and the stages of the sales cycle that make it so easy to sell stuff um, that you kind of forget that. So making knowing that process and making it awesome is the way that you can easily generate. And then, you, then you've got the confidence to go out there and just flog the hell out of it because you're going to celebrate the success of your customers. It's not just what I say. Here's some screenshots from people that are having a great experience. And it's a no-brainer for everybody else because they go, well, if they're getting that result and it only costs 47 quid, then I might as well have a punt um, and see if it works for me. And then when it works for them, then they tell their friends, they tell their friends, they tell their friends, and boom. Lead generation. Awesome. <laughs> now, now, finally, a uh, fun question, right? I know your favorite entrepreneur is uh, Richard Branson. Is that correct? Got it right? Okay. It, uh, it, look, my, my favorite entrepreneur is my old man. Um, my, he's he, he's been the most influential person in my life. He's 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 fantastic. He grew a big um, oil company, um, grew up at a council house, um, and went from a, doing a door to door paraffin round like a like a milkman to uh, to growing a company that had two hundred fifty staff and turned over half a billion pounds worth of uh, cash each year, um, which is. A lot of dough when you've just grown up in a council estate um, in a house where uh, it was a two-bedroom house and his parents, his grandparents lived downstairs and him and his brother and his parents lived on the top stairs flat um, in Hounslow and uh, mental compared to where he went up. So he's my absolute hero and he's also a hero for giving me absolutely nothing and making me do it all myself as well because 
could have been very easy for him not to have done so. So, um, so I'm appreciative to him for that. Awesome. Richard, where can people find you, connect with you, learn more about yourself, about your programs, ask you questions about lead generation? Yeah, the best, the best way for people to, to kick off is just, just, just take, just download one of my free, um, yes, the, the thing that we, we, we've got is our 99 ways to get more leads. Um, so if you just type that way in 99 ways to get more leads or just go lead gen academy, leadgenacademy.co.uk, on there at the top, there's a really easy tab that says 99 ways to get more leads. It's my gift. Um, all of your gang can grab it and uh, it literally does what it says on the tin and there's 99 ways for you to get more, generate more leads but the nice thing about it we talk about some cool stuff like how do you get leads on snapchat how do you get leads through messenger how do you get leads through um, obviously using facebook and facebook ads and all that sort of cool stuff but we also then have our what an old school lead gen section where we're talking about business card design and event marketing and all that sort of stuff so it's kind of a little bit for everyone. My tip is though, when you do download it, just scan through, see what you see, which bits that you like, and then read more depths on each one of those. And then just you know, use it almost as a barometer. Oh, I'm doing that. I'm not doing that. Oh, I didn't think about that. I have a little look at that. So start off there. Awesome. Any any final thoughts before we close the show? I think I think we can remember is that, that when anybody's trying to grow a business, the the fundamental thing that you've got to give yourself is a complete structure in terms of how you're presenting yourself to the world and to not be a magpie with ideas to go, right, I'm going to go through um, a very, a, you know, some sort of program where I'm going to say, right, I'm going to have this type of marketing funnel, I'm going to do this type of product, I'm going to have a bronze, silver and gold product, I'm going to have um, a little taste of product. I'm going to have a lot of free stuff going out. Um, a nice structure. If you've got that in your business, and then you just keep on rocking and rolling, pushing people through, pushing people through, pushing people through, then you have a, a, a really simple way of getting people into your core bronze, silver, and gold products. If you try and sell someone your premium coaching program or your 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 to so sell them a new boiler when they only needed to have um, a repair to their boiler. People just kind of know it and pull back and pull back. And you think, oh, people aren't interested in my services. But actually, it's not that. You're just kind of not allowing people to go on a journey with you. And all customers go on a journey with you. Some are good journeys, some are bad journeys, some are in different journeys. Your job is to make those bad and indifferent journeys good journeys. And you do that by giving them stepping stones that they feel comfortable putting their feet on. That's how you do it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Only the Brave Have Fun with your host, Jasper. If you love this episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Also, make sure you to visit www.jazzbearaurora.com to access the show notes. And if you are thinking about uh, starting your business, then take our Escape the 95 survey to see if you're ready. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.